0: You can grab a seat. Um, in Columbia City, where I grew up, where we just moved from, <coughs> my parents uh, live south of town. And going into town, there is uh, what is only can be explained as a speed trap. Okay? So you go past the new high school south of town, and you go down this hill. And it's like 50, whatever, it's all this sort of stuff, 50 miles an hour. And all of a sudden, at the bottom of the hill, it uh, tells you that it's now 30 miles an hour. So you're going down a hill coming off of a a county highway, and it says you need to slow down 20 miles an hour in like, I don't know, a couple hundred meters, 300 meters. Um, And the only thing that I can think of is that the Columbia City Police Department is so desperate for money that they're just looking to hand out tickets left and right. Um, one time in my life, I was stopped going, going down. I've been stopped other times in my life. But one time I was stopped going down, and I can promise you this. Uh, because I was stopped that one time, when I get to the high school, I look at my speedometer, and I start checking the speed. Because that one time was transformative enough for me to change uh, the rest of my life. Sorry to be so car-centric this morning, but there was another time in college. Uh, I worked at a church uh, in college, and one of their pastors just really took me under his wing. I'm super-duper grateful for him. His name was Kirk, uh, Kirk McConnell. And uh, one time, Amanda was out of town doing something, and uh, he was like, I want you to come over to the McConnell's house for dinner. We're going to do a cookout. It's going to be wonderful. He lived out in the middle of nowhere. Now, I grew up, Columbia City, Indiana. Everything's a grid, okay? You need to, get to, you need to get to 800 South. Guess what? You have to go past 600 South, 700 South, and then you're at 800 South. Everything makes sense. Northeast Georgia... Nothing makes sense. Everything is like, what do we have to move the least amount of mountains possible to get a road from point A to point B? So everything's just... Sorry for my terrible dance moves. Uh, Now, uh, this was late summer, so crops in the area were up a little bit. I would never driven to his house before. And uh, I'm I'm just... I mean, it was out of town. I got a vibe going in the car, music's blasting, I'm having a grand old time. And then all of a sudden, I look at the GPS, and I see that where I'm at currently is a stop sign, but I'm currently doing 55, and I just just fly right through that stop sign. I didn't see it because crops were up a little bit higher, and also I wasn't paying attention. And uh, and I fly through it, and it wasn't a four-way stop. It was on both sides for a pretty substantial road. By the grace of God, there were no other cars. I made it through. But it's one of those things that I make it through, I realize what happens. I slam on the ranks, I pull over, radio gets turned off the rest of the car ride. And I just like, I remember having like a, like, what just happened? Uh, and because of that, every time I come up, uh, while wow, like crops are up or anything, anything like that, every time I come up to uh, an intersection of that nature, again, I am so terribly cautious. Because that one time transformed the rest of the times for me. I, uh, to beat a dead horse, I, um, if you ever ask me to microwave leftovers for you, which if you're Pete Pal, you'll never ask me to do that because he eats his leftovers cold. But uh, if you ever ask me to microwave leftovers for you, I will usually leave it Cold. Because one time, when I was in elementary school, my parents were not home, and I uh, stuck French toast sticks in the microwave, and I just read the back of the instructions uh, on the back of the box and said, stick them in the oven for 15 to 20 minutes. I was like, great, 15, 20 minutes, microwave, boom. And uh, I roll out, and just black smoke billowing out of the microwave. Oh, it was atrocious. But because of that one time, because of that thing that happened, I then now, uh, as a rule, just undercook food in the microwave because I'm terrified of burning my house down. Again, I think you see where I'm headed here. There are things that happen in our lives that transform us for the rest of our lives. We we begin to categorize and shift and mold our lives around (coughs) these things, whether it's like a close call with death. Maybe one, one morning you're getting ready and uh, you just grab the first tube of something you find and then you realize you're, you brush with anti-itch cream instead of toothpaste. But there's stuff that happens to you that just changes you. And here's what I'm getting at. The same is true of who Jesus is. So we've been walking through the book of Colossians. The first six weeks have been all about... The realities of who Jesus is, and and we're we're on a little bit of a hinge point today. Starting chapter three, chapters one and two are here's who Jesus is. Chapters three and four are how then should we live. Here's who Jesus is. Then how then should we live? And, and uh, just just for me, let's let's reminisce on the first six weeks that we spent. In the book of Colossians. um, I'm going to, if you want to start in chapter one, I'm just going to read some of the stuff we've talked about. We talked about how Jesus rescues us from the dominion of darkness. And uh, in chapter one, 13 and 14, he says, For he's rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Jesus rescues us. And we talked about how he rules over us Uh, in verse 18. He says, and he is the head of the body, the church, that's us. And he's the beginning of the firstborn from among the dead. So that in everything, he might have the supremacy. He might be supreme. He might rule and reign, be over all of us. Jesus rescues us and he rules over us. And then in verse 22, we talked about how uh, Jesus reconciles us to God. Once you were alienated and you were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior, but he has now reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight, without blemish and free from accusation. Jesus rescues us, he rules over us, and he reconciles us back to a holy and loving God. But doesn't it doesn't leave us just wandering out in the fold. Jesus also reveals the mysteries of God to us. In verse 25 through 27, he says, I have become, the churches, uh, its servants by the commission God gave me to, present, you to the, present to you the word of God in its fullness. The mystery that God has kept hidden for ages and generations, but is now disclosed to the Lord's people to them God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery. And here's what the mystery is. Which is Christ in you, the hope of glory? Jesus rescues us. Jesus rules over us. Jesus reconciles us back to God. And Jesus reveals the mysteries of God. And uh, Nathan talked about how Jesus revives us. Uh, Chapter 2, jump to 13 and 14. When you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ. And he forgave us all our sins, having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us. He's taken it away, nailing it to the cross. We were dead in our sins and through the work of Jesus, we're brought back to new life in God, Jesus rescues us, Jesus rules over us, Jesus reconciles us to God, Jesus reveals the mysteries of God, Jesus revives us, and then last week we talked about how Jesus releases us. Chapter 2, 16 and 17. Therefore, do not let anyone judge you by what you eat or drink or in regard to religious festivals, a new moon celebration, or a Sabbath day, because these are a shadow of the things to, that w- were to come. The reality, however, is found in Christ. So We don't have to worry about empty rituals or empty regulations because Jesus releases us uh, from all of that, and we get to walk in loving relationship with him. Jesus rescues us. Jesus rules over us. Jesus reconciles us to God. Jesus reveals the mystery. Of God. Jesus revives us, gives us new life, and Jesus releases us from the emptiness of religion and invites us into a beautiful walking with God. So the first two chapters are all about who Jesus is, all those R's we talked about all who Jesus is, and then, like I said, we get to a hinge point where he's moving from the Christological realities of here's who Jesus is, and he's then moving into the, again, how then should we live, the practical elements of those realities, and if you ever get a chance to watch the Bible Project um, synopsis of the book of Colossians, one of the things they talk about often, we're going to talk about it over the next coming weeks, is that Jesus is creating a new humanity, that in Jesus we get that fresh start and we get to redesign the broken and fallen humanity that happened post-sin entering the world. And we get to enter into this new humanity that's full of love and life and community and all of these things. But it fundamentally has to start with who Jesus is. Jesus is the only thing, we've talked about this several times, Jesus is the only thing that is a firm enough foundation to build that new humanity on. If we just build the new humanity on an idealistic, uh, here's how the world would be great utopian society, it's going to crumble and fall because selfishness is going to come in and your utopia might look different than my utopia. And it just won't work. But when we build uh, this new humanity on Who Jesus is, his unchanging nature, his love, his grace, his mercy, his goodness, his righteousness, his justice. When we build a new humanity on this, Jesus is strong enough to be able to take all of it. So we're moving into the practical elements of the realities of who Jesus is. Jump with me. Uh, We're going to be in, as Jenny read, (coughs) we'll start in verse one. So transition point. Since then, Everything we just talked about, Jesus rescues us, Jesus uh, rules over us, Jesus reconciles us to God, Jesus reveals the mysteries of God, Jesus revives us, Uh, Jesus releases us from empty rituals and regulations. And since he has done all of that and since he is that person, since then you have been raised with Christ, set your hearts on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things, for you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, you will also appear with him in glory. So Paul's opening statement here, since then you have been raised with Christ, points us in a direction, just like he's done all along, reminding us of the work of Jesus. Since then... We were once dead. Since then, as he said earlier, we were alienated, hostile in mind, doing evil deeds. Uh, Since then, uh, we have been brought back to life through his work, his teachings, his death, his resurrection. We now have experienced new life. Since we have been given this new chance at life, what does he instruct us to do? He instructs us to do two things. Set our hearts on things above and set our minds on things above. I think it's an interesting distinction that he, he uses these two words, set your heart, set your minds, meaning we're setting the total faculties of our reasoning and logic, the way we process the world around us, the way we see things, uh, the, way we, uh, the way we think about things, and then he's saying the way we feel about things. So set the total faculties of your mind and set the total faculties of your heart, both the logic and the feeling. We're not not discluding any of them. Some people like to say that Christianity, following Jesus, discipleship to Jesus, some people want to go, uh, oh, it's just totally, it's just a lovey-dovey, feely-feely relationship. There's no concreteness to any of it. And Paul's saying, no, 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 we're setting our minds on things above. We're, we're engaging the processing and reasoning skills that God has given to us. And some people love to logic their ways into the kingdom of God. There was a, a season in church history uh, not far off, and in fact, some people might argue that we're still in it, where apologetics was the name of the game. Whereas like you just reason people into the kingdom of God, and that's a beautiful thing. Uh, I don't have the brain power to be able to uh, reason and logic, but some people do, and it's brilliant. But that's also uh, a half-baked Christianity. Paul tells us here we're setting our minds on things above and we're setting our hearts on things above, meaning we're setting the totality of our personhood, the totality of our existence here on the earth on things above. There is not an ounce of our life that is disaffected by the reality of who Jesus is. <coughs> if you look at the, uh, the Greek... Uh, set your minds on could simply be translated or or set your hearts on as seek. Seek. Run after. Pursue the things that are above. Now, I want to caution us here because there's another thing I I, I see happening often in uh, Jesus' following circles. (laughs) Paul says, set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. Seek things above, don't seek earthly things. Uh, I don't think what Paul is encouraging here is a particular escapism from modern life as we know it. You see, what I see some people doing it is an escapism that, that says the world is going to hell in a handbasket and I'm going to wash my hands of it, and I'm going to walk away from it, and I'm just going to be totally fixated on what is to come. It sounds like a really holy pursuit, except for the reality that it ignores the command of Jesus to go and make disciples. So Jesus isn't, uh, since Jesus is ruling and reigning, it's not an invitation to then just go, I guess I'm done with earthly things, and I'm just going to totally set my mind and heart on heavenly things and forego the responsibility that Jesus has given me. But instead, I think it's a reframing of our present reality. Like, I'm going to pursue earthly things, which means I'm going to exist here, and I'm going to do the most good that I can. I'm going to make the most disciples that I can. I'm going to do all all that I can for God's kingdom, but I'm going to do it all through the lens of who Jesus is and what is eternal. And it, and it starts at a really high level to like, okay, how am I going to disciple my kids? And how am I going to run my household? And how am I going to uh, have a career and engage in my community? And it goes to a really practical level with like, what, what, what kind of cereal am I going to buy? Like there's not an area of your life that is disaffected by the reality of who Jesus is. And the, the idea that Paul's giving us here is we are reframing our lives to go, there is more to this life than what we see, feel, and experience. In this moment, it extends far beyond that. And because of that, because of that, I'm going to set my heart and I'm going to set my mind on what's above, and I'm going to do things God's way. I'm going to choose to seek and pursue things that matter to God. Now, this illustration has probably been beaten to death, but Francis Chan uh, did it a while back, and I think it's it's, uh, apropos for our discussion this morning. (coughs) <coughs> okay, I get a rope here. Goes on for eternity. You cannot see the end of it. <laughs> as far as you know, that baptism, the uh, baptismal is a bottomless pit, okay? <coughs> now, this is eternity. It goes on forever and ever. And, and this this portion of the rope is our lives. Uh, what psalm is it? It talks about... Uh, By by reason of strength, we maybe have 70, maybe 80 years on this earth. For those of us who are beyond 70 or 80, what a blessing. But the reality is we we get a fixed amount of time on this life. Now, if I were to ask us to just give a mental approximation of the amount of time, thought process, attention, adoration, Fill in the blank. Do you commit to thinking about things in this green section versus the rest of it that goes on and on forever? I would wager an estimate that the majority of us spend the majority of our time thinking about things that consume this. Things that are here today, gone tomorrow. Things that have no eternal significance. But yet 80, 90, 100% of our lives are spent fixating on this. And this is what Paul is saying. Set your mind on things above, not on earthly things. Set your mind on things above, not on earthly things. Instead of fixating on how we can make this portion as comfortable, as nice, as pleasant, as easy, as wonderful as we can. What if instead we gave that same thought process, that same heart capacity to going, God, what are you doing in my life right now? I'm not escaping from it. I'm engaging with it. What are you doing in my life right now? And and how can I partner with you in what you are trying to establish that goes on and on forever throughout all of eternity? I've said this before. I'll say it a million times over as long as God graces me to stand in this pulpit. If the thing that distinguishes you from someone not following Jesus is your attendance at 2915 Townway Road on Sunday morning at 10.30. You are not following Jesus. You're attending church. Totally different things. If the thing that distinguishes you from someone not following Jesus is your presence in this room, I'm so thankful you're in this room. I'm so grateful you're in this room, but that is not what Jesus has called us to. Jesus has asked us to surrender the total. Of our lives, our family, our career, our spending habits, our our discipleship, our thought process, the media we intake, all of it. He wants all of it. Set your minds, set your hearts on things above, not on earthly things. So, what can we do? I've been a little bit prophetic. A little bit harsh up to this point. Let's move to a, a little bit encouraging. What can we do? Because I'm sure you're like, yeah, Jordan, sign me up. What have set my mind on things above? Do I just like walk around with a picture of Jesus printed off? What, what does that look like for me? Uh, and, and here's some ways I thought of this week that we can go about uh, practicing setting our mind on things above, not on earthly things. Setting our heart on things above, not on earthly things. Uh, anytime I give you a list of this nature... Okay? Uh, I don't want to give you the impression by any means that this is a comprehensive list. Anytime I how to do something, you figure that out with God. I'm just giving you some suggestions for what it could look like for you and I to set our ha- heart and mind on things above. There's four things I thought of. Okay? How can we set our hearts? How can we set our minds on things above? Uh, first one is we can intake God's truth, meaning we interface. With Scripture on a regular basis. Now this is more than just uh, interfacing and like I read the words of Scripture, but we're, we're continually taking time, energy, and effort out of our day to meditate on the, on the words written for us in our Holy Scripture when I say meditate, uh, I'm reminded of uh, Psalm, Psalm uh, 1, the first part of it said, Blessed is the one who does not walk in the step of the wicked, or stand in the way that sinners take, or sit in the company of mockers, but whose delight is in the law of the Lord, meaning like the commands of God, the things that God says to do. And who meditates on his law day and night, that person is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields fruit in season, and whose leaf does not wither, whatever they do prospers. So we're being encouraged here to meditate on God's word to say, I'm going I'm to take this passage of scripture, I'm going to think about it all day. I'm going to think about how God wants me to live this out. I'm going to think about how uh, God wants me to participate in his plan of redemption for the world. If you're looking for a place to start, a really simple place to start, uh, of engaging with scripture, Matthew chapter 5 through 7. Okay, It's called the Sermon on the Mount. It is some of the most practical teaching of what does it mean to follow Jesus, uh, and Jesus goes, okay, you want to talk about what life looks like in my kingdom? You just do these things. Don't hate people. Forgive your enemies. This is pretty radical stuff, but it's like all stuff we can do and engage with. You don't have to be like a theologian to engage with the Sermon on the Mount. You just go, okay, what does Jesus say to do? And then I'm just going to go do that thing. We're meditating on God's word. What's, what's something else we can do to set our mind on things above Engage in conversation with God, prayer. We got a group uh, at 915 going through uh, what it looks like to do this on a really practical level. It's been super encouraging, but our life was intended to be in constant communion with God. This was the intent of creation in the garden. Before the fall happened, uh, Adam and Eve, humanity existed with God in this constant communion and just enjoyment and conversation with And enters the world, which severs that relationship. And and so to pray is to scratch and claw past uh, what the fall uh, is holding captive of them and go, No, I'm going to commune with God. I'm going to be with God. Uh, And by engaging in this ongoing conversation, we're able to look past the world around us and recapture this vision for eternity, for the things above. So we can read scripture, we can pray. Another way that we can set our minds on things above is by the blessing of uh, engaging in God's community, like being a participant in what God is doing among us, meaning we're getting plugged into small groups. We're, we're letting our lives cross over one another's more than just Sunday morning. We're letting other people in this space speak into our life both wisdom and encouragement and rebuke and challenge. We are inviting all of it because we're going, we belong to something bigger than ourselves. When we isolate, when we're just on our own, I've experienced this in my life, we fixate on our problems and we fixate on what's temporary. Because we only have so much perspective. But when we exist in the community of God's people, what we're able to do is when one of us is really, really down and one of us is really, really struggling to set our minds and our hearts on things above, guess what the rest of the community can do? They can cheer them on. They can encourage. They can lift up. They can pray for. They can walk with. They can do all of these things because it's not just up to you. you like I said, you belong to something much, much bigger than just yourself. Even in the midst of trouble, we can be a reminder to one another to look back to God. <clears throat> so we can, we can engage with Scripture. We can, we can pray. We can uh, participate in God's community, God's people. <laughs> and then the last thing that we can do to set our mind on things above and, uh, is, is advance God's mission. I mean, we can practice evangelism. Sowing what's eternal. Sowing what God's wanting to do, not just the, in the here and now, but in the forever and ever. The posture of someone who's setting their minds on earthly things, if you think about it, is what, what my good friend Matt Chandler likes to call navel gazing. Okay? Navel gazing. What does navel gazing look like? Just looking down. This is a navel a lot of people call this, is a, like your belly button. It's a navel area, okay? Um, Navel-gazing means we're just looking down at, at myself and my problems, and, and, uh, and God's inviting us to, to do something bigger than that. He's inviting us to look up and go, I'm doing something. I'm rescuing, I'm redeeming, I'm reviving, I'm releasing, I'm doing all this stuff, and I want you to participate in it. And Paul's saying, here, look up. I'm just worrying about your pro- And so what's the mission of uh, of God? It's discipleship. It's, it's uh, so that the whole world might hear and know that Jesus is Lord. You guys might not know this, but one of the things that, that we've done the past year is uh, kind of redefine what Jordan Lang's role looks like. Um, and so job titles don't mean a ton, but they also don't mean nothing. Uh, and his job title is the pastor of... Uh, students, the next generation, and uh, mobilization. And what are we trying to get mobilized for? We're trying to get mobilized to participate in God's plan of redemption. And so Jordan and I talked about, um, yeah, you can come up, Jordan. Uh, Jordan and I talked about, okay, what can we do as God's people to set our mind on things above, set our heart on things above, and engage in God's mission, engage in evangelism? Uh, And we kind of brainstormed and prayed through what what a challenge for us through the end of the year might look like, and he's going to share that with us now.
1: Thanks, Jordan. So... You're going to see two strappingly handsome young men pass you a half sheet that looks like this. Um, And as soon as you get it, you can take a look on the inside. Um, How many of you, I'm really curious, how many of you have had extensive training in evangelism? Don't be shy. Cool. We got like three and a quarter. It's awesome. For the quarter of you, I hope you get to all the way. So, I know it's daunting. Because you feel like what Jordan said, you have to be like this apologist and you have to have all the right answers. Sometimes you can feel like you're not equipped for it or maybe like, hey, Jordan Lang kind of has that as a job title. We'll let him do the work and then I will just sit in my own gifting, which it seems like no one wants to really own up to the gift of evangelism because of baggage. But what you are going to receive, you can go ahead and take a look at it as soon as you get it on the inside Um, It's just this, if I can open it with one hand. Yeah, it's uh, like layers of relational equity. I'm not giving you all of the answers because that would be a disservice to you ultimately. But what you have here are just four different layers of how you can relate with people, questions you can ask them at each level that ultimately get towards the depths. So for an example, if you don't know anybody, don't sprint to number four. But God, through the Holy Spirit, might actually get you deep into conversation early as you like interact with people. And you probably already know as you look through this, you know where different relationships are. And that's great. You should have some people at surface level, like number two. You should have some people there. But the goal is to get deeper. And as you relationally get deeper, people begin to see you and understand your heart. And if you are seeking the things above, and if you have been gripped by the good news of Jesus, then that should pour out of everything that you do and everything that you say. And this simple guide will hopefully help you to be able to give trajectory to ask some good questions. Because you want to know the greatest evangelism in our world today? It's not you. It's not me. It's not Billy Graham. Well, rest in peace, Billy Graham. It's the Holy Spirit. In our evangelism, we trust our human methods more than we trust the Holy Spirit. And these questions will give room for the Holy Spirit to be able to move in the hearts of the people that you know that don't know Jesus. Your goal is never to convert them. Your goal is to be a witness As I was preparing for this, I thought of Luke 24. Resurrection morning, the stone's been rolled away, and the angel proclaims to the women, why are you looking for the living among the dead? Y'all, Jesus is still risen. And that is the greatest news ever. And there are so many people that we know that are looking for the living among the dead. And we are quick to share recipes. We're quick to share our children's success on the soccer field. We are quick to share our thoughts about this or that. But if we get in relationship with people and we know where they are at, and if we know that they are far away from God and they're looking for the living among the dead, then we should open ourselves up to relationship with them to be able to ask them these type of questions, like ask them questions about what do you believe about Jesus? He's a real person, did real things. What are your thoughts about him? If God's real, what would you ask God? Like what's getting in the way between you and God going all in? Because there are probably some people that have very legitimate concerns, and as a friend, you walk with them through it. And then if you look on the back, there's some Bible verses. If if my little pep talk isn't working, you can use the word of God. And then on the very bottom, if you get to a place where you're talking in relationship, and let's say they open up and they're like, yeah, I'm interested in Jesus. I'm ready to surrender my life. I I want in. And if... Maybe you forgot the prayer that like your Sunday school teacher prayed with you. There's a basic prayer of salvation on the bottom. There's nothing like inspired by the Holy Spirit about it. It's just a way for you to be able to pray a blessing of salvation over someone. And so with our time, because as I said, the greatest evangelist is the Holy Spirit. And we believe that the Spirit yearns to move through God's people. He also yearns to move through our prayers. So what I want us to do with just the few minutes that I have left with you this morning, we're just going to, in the awkward silence, and Matt's not going to turn on Spotify. I want you to just sit. And if mental pictures are helpful, you can do this. As you close your eyes, imagine you're in a room with Jesus. And wait for Jesus to bring somebody into that room. And then to pray for them. Pray for an open door for you to share the gospel with them, to be a light to them. Maybe you already have your list of about 10 to 20 people that are like right in front of you and you need to just pray for them. We'll eventually get to that. Don't worry about that for now. For now, just for a few minutes, I just want you to pray for the people that you know that are far away from Jesus. Pray for an opportunity to share the gospel. Pray that God even now would begin to grip their hearts. That God would give you an open door to share the good news of Jesus, to relationally engage in these conversations and to pray that God would do something new in, through, and around you. So let's just pray for a few minutes and then we'll do one last prayer. If you're still wanting to pray for your lost friends, please keep going. But for those of you that are done, one thing I wanna do before we move on because um, it's important for us to pray for individuals, but I also believe in the power of prayer for entire cities. Um, and so um, if you would please, if you are able to stand, we're going to have, um, it's a model prayer from Isaiah chapter 62. Yeah, you can stand, Amaya, and everyone else. That's great. So this prayer I've i have taken from Isaiah 62, and I, Isaiah 62 is about the city of Zion, Um, But I just threw in the word Danville. If you don't live in Danville while we're reading this, you can say whatever city or community that you're a part of. Uh, So if you live in Bismarck, you can pray for Bismarck's sake. If you live in Potomac, for Potomac's sake, for Armstrong's sake. Whatever community that you are a part of, you can insert those words. And if it sounds muddled, God knows our intention and that's okay. Okay because we believe that God wants to do something new and we believe in the power of prayer. And as Isaiah 62 says, which, just kidding, I'm getting ahead of myself, let's get there. So let's say this together. For Danville's sake, I will not keep silent. For Danville's sake, I will not remain quiet until her righteousness shines out like the dawn, her salvation like a blazing torch. The nations will see your righteousness and all kings your glory. You will be called by a new name that the mouth of the Lord will bestow. You will be a crown of splendor in the Lord's hand, a royal jewel in the hand of your God. No longer will they call your downtown deserted or name your city desolate, but you will be called my delight. And your streets will be called my treasure. For the Lord will take delight in you, and you will be fruitful. As Isaiah, pray, as Isaiah prayed in his day, we pray in ours. We will cry out in prayer day and night. We will give ourselves no rest, and we will give God no rest until he establishes Danville as a city on a hill a beacon of hope, a glimpse of the kingdom to come. Do we yearn for this church? That Danville would be a place that would be God's delight and his treasure. And would we give God no rest until this happens? May we pray fervently until that day comes. And as we yearn for that day, if you can, please stay standing as we sing our last song.